All right, good morning, guys. Hey, I'm Stephen Dickinson, the lead pastor around here, and I know we've got a lot of visitors who are joining their moms today. We're glad that you are joining your mom and that you chose to be a part of our family right here at the Vine. Before we dig into this, let's, let's have another prayer real quick. God, just kind of center our hearts. God, we are grateful for this moment right now, uh, for the fact that you brought us together, allowing us to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, we ask that you open our hearts and you just clear our minds so that we may experience your grace and feel your presence this morning. God, today we do celebrate mothers and the fact that you created each one of them with a unique combination of gifts and talents. We pray that you give each mother strength, help her to see the cosmic significance in every mundane task she performs, help her to understand that the the most radical world-changing events may be happening unknowingly in her own home. God, help us to realize uh, what Jamie talked about a minute ago in her prayer, that that mothers come in many forms, that they are the women who have nurtured us in the faith or taught us about Jesus, who have prayed for us by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, for those women, we give you thanks. God, we lift up those this morning who don't know you at all, those that are just trying to do life on their own and discovering that it is impossible without you. Just draw them close to you, so that they may discover new life in Christ. Be with those that are hurting this morning, those that are broken, those that are down and confused and emotionally worn out. Do with them what you do best, God. Give them rest, give them peace, and heal them. God, we thank you for calling us into your ministry of reconciliation. Help us to be effective and efficient in making disciples. We thank you for Fellowship Bible Church and Pastor Jason. We ask that you use them to glorify yourself right here in Cabot. And God, help us to partner with them in this endeavor. God, this morning we ask that you speak to each and every one of us in clearer and certain terms so that we know, God, that it's not me doing the talking, but it's you. In order for that to happen, God, you've got to get me out of the way. Just hide me behind the glory of the cross. And now, God, just hear us as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So we are now in our, our fifth week of this series, A New Reality, or, or the, the book of Colossians is what we've been going through. It's a small letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the new believers in, in Colossae to help them understand how Christ should be reshaping everything in their life. So he's explaining that a, a personal relationship with Jesus is more than just a ticket to eternal life. That it should be transforming our life that we're living right now. And so this letter is it's sort of a, a list of, of principles for Christian living. And last week, Paul focused on family dynamics and relationships and, and how we should love and honor and respect one another. Regardless of your specific role, whether that's of a husband or a wife or a child, Christ expects us to have a higher family IQ than the rest of the world. 
And if I had done a little better job of planning, I would have used last week's scripture today because I really could have done some Mother's Day stuff with that, but, but it didn't work out that way. Um, if you didn't catch last week's message, you can, you can grab it on uh, Spotify. And so we've, we've got an account on Spotify. You can easily go on there and open up a free account on Spotify uh, with just, I think, an email address. But that's where you'll find all of the sermons for uh, the Vine at Cabot. We're going to be adding some other content to that. And so um, you just keep that app kind of close uh, and handy and accessible to you. And you can, you can hear all kinds of good stuff on there. I think we'll have some trainings and some other uh, devotionals and the sermons and things like that. So keep an eye out for all of that. But last week, um, we saw where the Apostle Paul seemed to kind of take a turn in his conversation, but we discovered that he was actually just narrowing his focus from the community really to the family. And he, and he spoke about wives and husbands and children and father, and he emphasized how the Christian family uh, would live their life and conduct their relationships in a way that was mutually loving and respectful and submissive and God-honoring. In other words, he was saying, listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, our families are going to operate in a different way than the world operates with their families. And so now we're going to be picking up, we're just kind of reading along, we're going to be picking up with verse uh, 22. And I started to skip this this week because on, when you first look at it and kind of skim through it, it looks like it doesn't apply to us at all, like we would just wouldn't have any way to relate to what he's saying here. But then I decided to kind of, we needed to dissect it some more and so that we would understand it and not misinterpret what the Apostle Paul is addressing here because it's huge. So, so Paul takes um, the same principles intended for the family and he applies them to a completely different relationship. See, for most of the letter of, of Colossians, he's talking about the, the internal personal relationship that an individual has with God. And then he turns the conversation, like last week, to about the family relationships because this is the core unit of all of society, the family. And now today, he's going to turn to a more social pattern, a more social conversation. So here it is, Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 22. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eyes is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Everyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Now, this is the end of chapter 3 right there. Uh, and these chapters and these verses weren't put into chapters with reference verses until about um, the, the 13th century by some monks who were studying the scripture and they put those in there to have a reference point so that they could study. I'm glad they did it. It helps us with our reference point, right? Um, but we've got to remember that this letter didn't have those when Paul wrote this. That he was, this was a continuous thought for the Apostle Paul. It's not like he came to the end of chapter 3. He took a break, changed subjects, came back later and wrote chapter 4. Um, because listen, here's chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, he's I mean, still on the same subject. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. 
because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So that's, that's a full thought right there, really. Um, verse 22 through verse 1 of the next chapter. So we see the same balance here that we saw with the families in the previous section. Uh, Paul does this on a regular basis in his writings. He, he doesn't speak to one without speaking to the other. He doesn't speak to wives without talking to the husbands. And he doesn't talk to the children without talking to the father. And, and Paul seeks out a balance because he knows that, that it takes effort and it takes work on everybody's part to build healthy relationships, which translate into healthy families and communities. And so let's unpack this whole master-slave relationship because some of you are uncomfortable with this topic right now, right? And the reason you're uncomfortable with this topic is because you hear these terms through American history. These are highly charged words in our culture. Because when we hear them, we are reminded of a brutal and unholy practice that took place in our country uh, before the mid-1800s. And so our mind automatically goes to racial division and discrimination and civil war. But when Paul wrote this, American history was not in his memory bank, right? And so Paul didn't see things the way we see things. Our challenge is we're now trying to see things the way Paul, Paul saw them. He was a first century Jew living in the Roman Empire. The social construct was completely different. And when we're trying to understand an ancient text, we cannot define it by modern standards. We've got to put some cultural context to it in an effort to understand the main point. And so we mentioned last week, uh, just as a reminder, that the New Testament was written in Greek. And so our English words like submit and love from last week took on a little different meaning than what we might have first thought. Well, the same thing is going on here with the word slave and master and this whole relationship. The Greek term that Paul uses where we have slave is doulos, doulos. And it means a, a person under the command or obligation of another. And, and when the Bible was first translated into English in the 1500s, the word slave had a similar meaning of a, of a bond servant or some type of, a, of an indentured servant. It had nothing to do with race and everything to do with your position in life or your standing in life. So it, it could have been that you owed somebody money. And in order to pay that off, you agreed to work for them to pay off that debt, right? Or it could have been that you owed someone else money and then somebody else paid your debt for you so you didn't go to debtor's prison and then you worked for the person who paid your debt off until it was paid off, right? Um, during, during the time of Jesus and during this first century where as the church was developing, um, the research says that up to one-third of the Roman population were bond servants or slaves. And another one-third had already been slaves or bond servants, but had paid off their debt, worked it off, right? That's a lot. That's a lot of folks. And, and what you might find interesting is that um, in, in God's law found in Leviticus, that there are regulations that stipulate this contract between a master and a slave to protect the rights and the dignity of the slave. And even though slavery was regulated in the Mosaic law, it was not an endorsement 
of slavery. Not when you consider the whole body of work in the biblical text. See, God called Israel not to emulate their Egyptian oppressors. That's found in Exodus. God consistently showed love and concern for the care of foreigners and the poor, people that would have found themselves in bondservant positions. That's in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. In fact, God's law commanded the Israelites to intervene into a poor person's life, giving them a hand up or or money to get back onto their feet or give them a job so that they would not become bondservants or slaves, right? Back in the 1800s, Christians were using verses like this to argue that the Bible was in favor of slavery. And that is absolutely absurd, and I pray for their souls. I guess they completely ignored Paul's letter to this guy by the name of Philemon, who who lived in Colossae. He was probably a member of this church here that Paul is writing to in Colossians. And Philemon was a master of Onesimus. And Paul appeals to Philemon. He appeals to his new set of ethics and his values as as a Christian. And he asks him to let Onesimus go free. Just based on the fact that Christ set him free. So he needed to let Onesimus go free. Right? I bet they weren't teaching that in the mid-1800s and south. Listen, as long as there are people on earth, there is going to be abuses of power. And even though there were regulations for Jewish masters and Jewish servants, we don't know um, how well they were followed. Right? And there were certainly a lot of folks in the Roman Empire who, who weren't so lucky. And I'm sure that there was a lot of abuse. And so what Paul is really addressing here, listen to me, I don't want you to miss this. What Paul is addressing here is the issue of power. It's the issue of power. Paul knew that whenever people are involved and one has power over the other, the potential is there for corruption. And so whether you have power or you don't have power, how we manage that or deal with that is a representation of what we believe about God. And so this is Paul's effort to help Christians understand that there has got to be a greater governing principle to help us love, honor, respect, and cherish one another as children of God. There were so many people that found themselves as bond servants through no fault of their own. I mean, they just didn't have the opportunity to avoid it. They, They didn't have the luxury of the American dream to where you're in control of your own destiny. Right? There was no such thing as upward social mobility in the first century. Our context today is completely different than when Paul wrote this, but I, I believe there's still some lessons in it for us today. Now remember, w- up to one-third of the population was serving somebody. Another one-third had already finished serving somebody at some point in their life. And so there's no telling how many masters there were. And so Paul is addressing the majority of the population about how they should treat one another. So this is big. This is massive. And so what can we learn from this? Well, what what if the text read this way instead? Maybe this will help us kind of identify with it today, 21st century. What if it said, employees, 
who have no authority at your workplace, but simply must do what your job description says, obey your boss in everything. And not only do it when they're watching, but also when they're not out of reverence for the Lord. And whatever you do, if you're mopping the floor or digging a ditch or changing diapers or analyzing data or flying an airplane or greeting people at the front door, work at it with all your heart as if you were working for the Lord because he's going to reward you one day. That reads a little differently, doesn't it? You may struggle all your life working for another person. But you will one day receive an inheritance from your father in heaven. So many Christians today see their job just as a job. It's a paycheck, man. You know, it's what I do to get a little income so I can go buy the things I want to buy. But what if the people of God viewed their vocation or their job in such a way that they were doing the work of the Lord? We had our senior banquet last Sunday evening at Rick and Debbie Dinkins. Uh, they were kind enough to host it. But, but Jared reminded all of the graduating seniors there um, that as children of God, as believers in Jesus Christ, that whatever they were going off to do, wherever their studies were going to take them or wherever their passion would take them, whatever job they found themselves doing at any particular point in life, God had already gone before them and prepared that particular situation for his glory. In other words, we don't believe in random. No matter what position you find yourself in today, we know that if we work at it as though we were working for the Lord, we will receive a reward. Somehow, somewhere, someday, along the way and afterwards, we're going to be rewarded. May come in the form of peace. May come in the form of joy. Who knows what God will do in your life. In Paul's day and time, servants were not entitled to any inheritance from a wealthy family member. So from a material standpoint, uh, these bond servants or these slaves, they had very little to look forward to in life. And yet Paul encourages them with a reminder that this mortal life is not where our real rewards are going to be given. God's inheritance, our eternal dwelling place with him, will far exceed the trials and limitations of this life. Once again, Paul is trying to, to get us to focus on the things above, like in chapter 1 when we started off this, this series, rather than focusing on the daily concerns of life. But, but Paul wasn't finished with that thought yet. And so let me, let me keep going. And again, these are, these are my words. Just kind of taking that scripture and putting them into my summary. If you do wrong, you will be repaid for that by your heavenly father because he doesn't show any favoritism. God doesn't care what your earthly title is or how much power you think you have. If you're the boss, if you're the teacher, if you're the supervisor... If you're the parent, if you're the one in charge, you better do what is right and what is fair because the reality is you serve Christ. Do you see what, what Paul is doing here? When you read this from a first century context, you realize that Paul is doing the exact same thing with slaves and masters as he did a few verses earlier with women and children. He is making the point that whatever hand you've been dealt in life you play it 
and you make the best of it for the glory of God. But if you're the one with the power, you've got to understand that you have a master in heaven that will hold you accountable for what you do to those whom you have authority over. Paul wants us to understand how to use power, but also how to respond to power the way that God wants us to. Somebody is always going to be in a position of authority over you. Everybody has a master. But you're also going to find yourself in a position of power over somebody else at some point in your life. And the thing that's going to set you apart from the rest of the world is how you use your power or how you respond to power. If you're a parent, you've got power. If you're a teacher, you've got power. If you have people that report to you, you have power. If you have an office, you have power. If you're a customer that a business depends on, you have power. At some point, on some level, we all have power. And the Apostle Paul is teaching us how we exercise that power will be judged by God. Because ultimately, he's the master of us all. I recently came across a, a Gallup uh, research poll that they did. Uh, I think it was two, uh, 2022, so last year, 22. Uh, but it, the, the title of the article was Job Unhappiness is at a Staggering All-Time High. Here's a quote from it. It said, in the U.S. specifically, 50% of workers reported feeling stressed at their job on a daily basis. 41% is being worried, 22% sad, 18% angry. The number one reported cause of dissatisfaction with job experience is characterized as unfair treatment at work. So the lack of culture that emphasizes respect and community and contribution acknowledgement. Unfair treatment includes many kinds of workplace issues from mistreatment by coworkers, inconsistent compensation and corporate policies and a bias, biases and favoritism. You know what all these environments lack? They, they lack this biblical principle that Paul has laid out to us right here. Those in positions of power are not using it in a godly manner. And those who don't have any power are not working for the Lord. They're working for a boss they can't stand and a company they don't believe in. But if God is truly our master, we should act and behave in a manner that glorifies him, God, right? And when we do that, our perspective on life changes. Our perspective on relationships changes. Our perspective on work and our job, it all changes, Because your identity is not in your work or in your title. Your identity is in Christ. And now you're free to serve without an agenda. God has loved us unexpectedly and unashamedly with his power. And that should make us want to love him out of gratitude for what he's done for us. And he makes it clear that loving him is going to involve loving other people unexpectedly and unashamedly with whatever power we have. If you are one of God's children, then you are co-heir with Christ to the throne. You already own stock in heaven. And now you're free to give your life away to service to others. And this may be, in fact, one of the most provocative and Christ-exalting aspects of your life out there in the world and in the workplace. 
And so whether you have power or you don't have power, go out there and make a difference for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word and the the principles that are laid out in it to help us understand how we can do life in such a way that we have joy and we have peace and we can love our job and love others and serve and we can just work and, and give you the glory, God. But so often we get bogged down in the daily details that we don't keep our mind on the things above like Paul tells us to do. And when that happens, depression seeps in. Anger seeps in. Selfishness seeps in. God, help us to stay focused on serving you and loving you and giving our lives as a sacrifice to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, guys, we've got one more song. and It's a song of invitation. And the invitation is um, just to respond to however the Holy Spirit is moving in your life or in your heart. And so as we stand and sing, if you want to come forward and spend some time in prayer at the, at the table or just up here or Jared and Jamie and myself, we'll be up here if you want to pray with one of us. But let's be standing as we sing this last song this morning. <laughs>